0: In this day and age, it's easy to hear stories celebrating exceptional people, but not so much about what made them exceptional. We at the Polymath Podcast aim to tell the story before the success story. We sit down with some of the world's most interesting people so they can share their stories before the splashy articles, online hype, and multi million dollar fundraising rounds. We hope that with every episode, we inspire the next generation of polymaths to do something awesome. And who knows, our next guest could be you. Welcome to the Polymath Podcast. My name is Nia Johnson, and I am your host. Hey, we're at the Polymath Podcast. Um, I'm here with Abadessi.
1: Hey! How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, anytime. So I think to start off, I would like to like briefly walk through your journey through like economics to tech. Yes, like as an econ major, it's just something I would just love to hear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I chose to study economics because I remember being in secondary school or high school and reading an article that said that women with economics degrees earned like four times more than women without, or like any other social science degree. I do not know what data set that was, but I was just like, oh, this is super compelling. Um, and when I was at university, I still didn't really make the connection of using my economics to get a career in tech. At that time, I really thought I would actually go into a multilateral organization like the World Bank or the United Nations, um, or maybe like go into the finance sector. I don't know, I wasn't really sure. Um, But when I did finally decide to work in the tech industry after watching the social network movie and kind of seeing the startup ecosystem booming in London, my economics degree became a huge advantage because outside of obvious tech skills like software engineering what i learned was that an economics degree was like highly valued because it demonstrated that i had commercial awareness um i think economics is an incredible discipline as well just because it sits across so many things from like really numerical quantitative side of like problem sets and analyzing huge data sets and trying to like show trends in a graphical form all the way to the more like philosophical and political side where you're actually trying to decide okay we have a lot of different competing needs and different types of people and how can we create a policy that satisfies everyone and if you think of how product development works you're doing a really similar thing where you're trying to find out as much as you can about your users and based on that research create a story create a narrative that helps inform the development of your product so I felt super fortunate to have studied a degree that so many startups just thought, wow, you could do a bunch of different things. Like we could put you in a growth role, we could put you in a sales role, we can put you in like a content creation role because you write essays. So yeah, it was definitely a useful degree for pivoting career and trying to break into tech.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of the reasons why I picked economics because I didn't, had no idea what I wanted to do and like I, at the time I wanted to do music and that and then my parents wanted me to do engineering because of the money. So I like thought like okay, I can do economics because like I can like pivot into something that does make money but also doesn't creatively kill me. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So there you go. It's, it's like, like the perfect, perfect balance. And I do wish more folks interested in social science would kind of lean into the economic side versus like maybe history or philosophy because you get to do the history and philosophy like as part of economics but then you get the kind of like quantitative foundation too and i do think it is really important to be as much of a generalist as you can when you're not sure what you want to do with your career (laughs) because then you leave different paths open
0: yeah I definitely agree and I think like one thing I've noticed with a lot of like um educated folks our age is like a lot of people lean either more towards the technical side or more towards like the uh, qualitative side of things yes and like it's kind of nice having both perspectives because you can have an overall more rounded point of view and I think and I always like preach like just learn the other thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting if you look at research that has been done by, let's say, like Harvard Business Review about what is the path to CEO. And if you look at Fortune 500 companies and look at their CEOs, what is the discipline or what is that skill set that got them there? And actually the overwhelming trend is they are generalists. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so what motivated you to start Hustle Crew? Like, What path in your career kind of took you there?
1: Yeah, I think for me, the timing of everything happening in a macro context, this is like the first Black Lives Matter movement moment around 2015, 2016. Combined with my personal experiences, I had been headhunted from Amazon into a startup. And I just happened to be the only black person in the office. And it was the first time in my career where I realized just how... Normalized double standards were in tech, whether that was like one way of things for men, one way of things for women, one way of things for white folks, one way of things for black folks. And I was personally impacted by that. I had joined to excel in my job, and I was excelling in my job. I was smashing my targets. I had rave reviews from clients, but that wasn't good enough for the people in my team. It was an environment where I felt excluded and when it came time for me to call out that behavior I didn't get the response I expected to considering I'd been delivering results I was adding value to the team I had expected folks to believe me and listen to me and be willing to build solutions and offer support but instead I was met with hostility and that made me think wow what's it like for people going through the same thing as me who don't have this incredible track record, don't have this incredible support network, don't have the privilege and power and strength to basically walk away from this situation. And that's why I wanted to start Hustle Crew because that for me was at the time one of the lowest points in my career, not just as a hard-working tech person, but also as a woman of color, as a black and Asian woman. And I just felt so determined that no one should have to feel this way I was like there's so many of us just trying to show up do our best the last thing we need is behavior towards us from our teammates to make us feel less than human and then for that experience to almost be ignored and invalidated as not a big deal so that's kind of what drove me
0: okay yeah no I can totally understand that like I had a a similar situation like um early last year and like that kind of like, me like kind of made me like pivot like, all the way into the startup ecosystem because at the time I was like kind of halfway in halfway out, and so I can totally like, relate to that like feeling of just like kind of like, almost helplessness just like when people just treat you unfairly for
1: no absolutely, business. yeah and I think one of the things that we forget is that while the tech industry remains one of the largest sectors in the US and the UK economy is the fastest growing employment sector, it's still majority male. I think both in the US and the UK, the percentage of women working in tech is hovering around 20%. Now, of course, in certain types of roles that is higher, but in a lot of roles, whether that's leadership board, engineering, product it's still lower it's not like the normal population split we find in society like you know 51 49 we don't have that yet and it's difficult it's difficult um to be in an industry where it's not commonplace to see people like you reflected in positions of authority um and I think that just adds another layer of like complexity because a lot of people who are underrepresented in tech end up becoming advocates for diversity in tech even though they're just trying to be a good product designer or like a good software engineer or a good salesperson because to be good at any of those things we need to have a good team dynamic and like a support network and we're missing that
0: yeah I totally agree I think it just kind of brings in like this whole like labor because like you're the one person in the office that does know a lot about this topic because you live it you kind of are, like, that default, like, person. Absolutely. You have a lot of experience of growing a startup with a day job, and, like, I can sort of relate to that because I'm, like, at a startup VC fund while also, like, working as a PM, like, as a day during the day. Um, and I know this whole topic has, like, been hotly debated in entrepreneurial circles forever, and you've spoken of the benefits of having that. I want to ask you, how, do, how did you make that work? What are the challenges of having, of like starting something and um, having a day job?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I started out as a full time founder, right? I wanted to do what everybody else does. I had my savings, that's how I was paying my rent and my bills. I was in accelerator programs, working on my company full time, going to places like Google Campus, getting free Wi Fi, going to events meeting other entrepreneurs I was literally reiterating my pitch deck every week (laughs) like every week I was changing something I was going to pitch events I was networking talking to investors for the first year I'd say I had every intention of going down a very traditional venture capital route raising a pre-seed round hiring a team and then giving this my all for the next few years but I couldn't raise funding and this is not, you know, uh, uncommon. I then decided, okay, how do I keep this dream alive? Whilst also keeping myself alive, <laughs> it was as simple as that. And I was very lucky because my really good friend, Emily, who I worked with that group on in my first tech job and actually worked with in the city at my first ever, ever real job, um, was working at Product Hunt, she wanted to grow her community team, Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt, was super, super passionate, still is about diversity and inclusion, and had realized that there was so much I'd learned from building Hustle Crew that I could bring into Product Hunt, and that would be authentic to the experience of diverse makers and underrepresented makers in a way that he couldn't connect with as a white guy. So I joined the team, and in a way that was probably one of the best things for my business, because not having to rely solely on hustle crew to survive meant that i could stop diluting the vision for the sake of money right because ultimately hustle crew is challenging the status quo but i needed people perpetuating the status quo to survive i needed companies that were part of the problem to invest in us or believe in us or buy our products but they didn't like our products because their products made them feel bad or made them look bad so i was always in this like weird Situation where I was being pulled in two different directions one direction from my community members another direction from the employers We wanted to get money from so being able to have a full-time job and then work on hustle crew on the side meant that I could focus hundred percent on what my community members need and like really develop a strong and authentic brand voice and get traction and I could also leverage my role as a product hunt community team member to raise awareness right and profile and bring attention to hustle crew And in the end, it became this amazing realization where I was like, it's so doable now to scale up a team while you have a job, right? Like, you don't have time to create all the social media content that your community needs? Hire someone to do it. You don't have the time to manage all of your inbox inquiries? Hire someone to do that. Oh, where are you going to find the money? Oh, your salary. (laughs) Right. And, and that's what it was. I was getting paid and I was investing my salary into the Hustle Crew team. And it's just brilliant. I remember going to a black and brown founders conference in Philadelphia where someone said, your employer is your angel investor. And that for me was just like a penny dropping because it's true. Like I spent months unsuccessfully trying to raise all types of capital. But the whole time I was doing that, I was very employable. I could have just found a job that supported my side hustle and then diverted cash from that job into my company. And now Hustle Crew is in a place where we're profitable, six-figure revenue, we have a team of incredible consultants, we have a team running marketing, I have an amazing teammate running operations, another amazing teammate working on all the product stuff. A lot of these folks are contractors working on tons of other projects at the same time, but they prioritize Hustle Crew, they love Hustle Crew, they're a part of the Hustle Crew community, they believe in the mission. And so many people tell me now, oh, I want to invest in you. (laughs) (laughs) Are you raising, are you raising? And I'm like, no, I'm not raising because I have a profitable, sustainable business. I don't need outside capital. I own 100% of a profitable six-figure business. Why would I give you some of it, (laughs) right? And by the same token, people will say like, oh, well, why don't you work on Hustle Crew full-time? And I was like, well, why would I work on Hustle Crew full-time? When I can work on hospital part-time and have a VP-level job in the tech industry and also create influence and change that way. Like, I'm good doing both. I'm managing to do both. Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter and Square. No one's asking him to choose. Why do I have to choose, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like, there is no shame in picking a path that might be unorthodox that that works and for me right now this works that is
0: great like honestly that like gives me inspiration because like I am like juggling multiple things at the same time too and like I kind of like it like I like doing multiple things because like everything that I choose to do is something that I care about and I don't like abandoning things
1: (laughs) yeah and I also think if you're someone who is really ambitious like your sense of identity is tied to how well you do at work and you are a woman in patriarchy and you are a woman of color in white supremacy and maybe you're the children of immigrants like me as well so basically a lot of pressure to succeed and do well it could be a good thing for you to have more than one job because as an individual you are never fully in control of your success in a venture, whether that's a job, whether that's a company that you run. So by spreading yourself across different things, you're also spreading your obsession a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like a, a nice little mental health check. So instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, you're kind of putting your eggs in different baskets. And then when one of the baskets isn't going so well, you can throw them into the other. And then when it goes that, that goes bad, you throw them into the other. So it's also been a really transformative um journey for me to manage my mental health in the context of my work life and having multiple things ironically because it doesn't feel like it would be like that has actually helped me be a happier worker because now if something is going bad at wrong going badly wrong at work there's always another work thing that's going well
0: <laughs> does yeah. that make sense yeah it totally makes sense like i okay. think it's always yeah you're kind of just like hedging your obsession and I think that's exactly. kind of a good thing like if something goes bad it's like well this thing is also going good so it's like it'll just it'll fix itself it just gives you hope that like you're not like you don't feel that level of demoralization when it's just like one thing
1: and absolutely it's
0: going terrible
1: and I think it's so important for us to recognize the fact that the statistics are against us right like I don't care how many people want to be like oh the world is changing or like not everyone is racist not everyone is sexist blah 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 yeah sure fine but enough people are racist and sexist that women are out here suffering in our own unique ways as we try to get promoted as we try to get a pay rise as we try to land a senior role as we try to get a investor to write us a check like we are facing unique barriers and the truth is while that is still the case why would i not be increasing the probability that I am successful, why wouldn't I be maximizing my earning potential? Yes, I could work on Hustle Crew full-time, but I could also work on Hustle Crew full-time and have a full-time job. So why would I choose to not earn more? And by not working on Hustle Crew full-time, I don't need to take a salary from it. The choice to not take a salary from my business is a choice to invest revenue from the business into growing the team paying the team better, investing in the product, building for the long term. So yeah, I just think more people should think about what they want, how they feel about work, about authority, about responsibility, and basically create a holistic approach to work that helps them maximize as many of those priorities and points of fulfillment as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm actually, um, part Jamaican and like, there's like this kind of running joke that like, um, people from the Caribbean have like multiple jobs. Like you don't just have one job. You have like five jobs.
1: (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. This is like, it's just the black work ethic. Like (laughs) it's the hustle. You know what I mean? Like we're calling things side hustles and glamorizing them and glorifying them. But the reality is for many folks in like black and brown communities, people have been having multiple jobs for a while, like, that's how a lot of our (laughs) parents put us through education, um, and that's how their parents, like, got (laughs) them through the education, so it's nothing new, (laughs) it's just been rebranded.
0: Yeah, definitely, like, it makes me even think of, like, that, like, one bit in, like, Everybody Hates Chris, where, um, Trisha Arnold's, like, my husband has two jobs, I don't need to take
1: this anymore. Yes, exactly. (laughs)
0: um that's awesome so what I'm curious to know about is that is what are your metrics for like a successful or just like an like a a work culture where everyone feels included especially like in a distributed
1: um environment given COVID-19 I definitely think an ability to sit in a space of discomfort and engage in dialogue is like a real success metric because that's what's been missing from the workplace for all the decades that have just gone by. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. we were willing to engage with each other up to the point where we felt uncomfortable. But then George Floyd was murdered. Then Breonna Taylor was murdered. And we were all home watching it at the same time and we couldn't escape it. And so it was like there was literally nothing else to talk about but this very difficult, painful truth. And now we need to hold on to that. Yeah, We need to, like, keep that. We need to, like, not wait for the next horrific event to happen, but rather just keep doing it. So that's, like, one sign. And I think the second sign is definitely, like, healthy disagreement. Because sometimes we're also losing the ability to disagree with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And the truth is, every person's lived experience is real to them. Right? Mm -hmm. So, sure, you've never been called the N-word, but you're also not black
0: right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, you feel that you haven't seen racism, but guess what? I have. Um, and that's real to me. Now, how can we meet in the middle here and talk about the importance of recognizing racial trauma and, and working towards creating workplaces that are super productive for everybody?
0: Yeah, definitely. So what would you say to a founder like, just starting out, like, let's say they just made their startup, they're, like, pre-seed, like, how would, what advice would you give them on how to grow a truly
1: equitable company culture? I definitely think if you want things to happen by default, like, if you want your team to be diverse and inclusive by default, then you just need the representation from day one, because that's how it happens, right? Right we can only optimize for what we see and what we know and what matters to us. And that is completely defined by our lived experience. So if you want to create a company that is by default optimized for belonging, optimized for inclusion, optimized for diversity, you need as many different people making decisions, having influence and having power as you can. So it's not good enough for it to be three guys that went to the same college, or three guys and one girl that went to the same college (laughs) or like one white guy one black guy and one girl that went to the same college like no you're not trying hard enough like really push yourselves to optimize your experiences for the person with the least amount of privilege in your customer base in society and for that to happen you need that person with the least amount of privilege to be in the room at the table making decisions with you
0: yeah definitely like I think yeah that makes a ton of sense now that I think about it I was like uh because like it all kind of like everything kind of like I think like any like institution any project like it is reflective of how it started and everything is kind of an outgrowth of it and I think a lot of like seems like a lot of D&I work is like kind of reversing that default and I think it just creates like
1: a ton of work because it kind of scaled up what it started as. Yeah, exactly. This is something people don't want to hear. People are like, just tell me what I need to do, but that isn't something I don't want to do. Like, tell me what I need to do to build an inclusive startup, but it has to be something that I'm willing to do. And when I say, okay, so you want to build an inclusive startup? You need to take a leap of faith and hire someone that you don't know and that your friends don't know and that doesn't have the credentials that your investor told you are the best credentials to hire from and it might work and then great and it might not but oh well and either way you've tried but people don't want to hear that so people only want to hear the advice that they're willing to hear and that's why nothing changes
0: yeah and i think just overall like it's like ironic like tech is supposed to be like this very like risk healthy sort of like place But in certain places, like, people don't want to take the risk because they see, like, oh, I have a startup, I have this fixed amount of money, and if I do hire this person that may not have the credentials or may not have, like, XYZ, um, maybe this won't succeed, and then it's on me, and whatever. And I think on some level, it's, like, taking that leap to just be, like, okay, it might not
1: work, but whatever. (laughs) Exactly. And I actually think that's one of the fallacies of tech, like, we don't take risks. Not really. Um, No VCs wanted to talk to me when I was raising. Okay, fine. Maybe a few, all of them tried to make me adapt to a less risky model. Like don't only focus on women, focus on all young professionals. Don't only focus on diverse candidates, focus on like all techs or just tech professionals from a non-technical background. Like everyone wanted me to like lose this narrow focus and lose this niche. Ultimately, it is the niche that has got us global awareness and success. And now that I'm successful, VCs ask me if I need cash. And it's like, well, no. (laughs) I needed the cash to help me validate this idea. Now that I validated the idea, I don't need cash because free market economics, baby. Supply (laughs) and demand.
0: (laughs) Supply and demand. (laughs) Exactly. Going back to like the wearing multiple hats thing. Yes. How do you stay
1: organized? (laughs) That is a great question. This is how I approach everything. When I'm asked to do something, I like immediately evaluate it. Like what are the different components of this? What's going to be easy and quick? What's going to be hard and take longer? Things that are easy and quick. Can I give them to someone else to do (laughs) things that are harder and more complex? Can I do them? How quickly can I do them? Do I need to divide them? This is basically how I work. And I also think I'm very fortunate that I have a brain that can process information very quickly. And I think it could be partly biological, but also partly sociological, just growing up in a really academic household. So I also think that I benefit from being a fast worker. like. I sleep, I eat, I watch Netflix, I'm very lazy when I want to be, but when I'm not in lazy mode and I'm in productivity mode, I'm just extremely productive.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that a little bit, just like with, but it's like, for me, it comes in bursts, like I have like bursts of hyper focus and then like spurts yes. of like sloth. And exactly. I like what I'm trying to learn is how to like work with those bursts to like get the most out of them
1: totally and i think it's really important for us to be self aware and for us to recognize these patterns like there are some days my mental health might not be great and i know i won't be productive and sometimes it's actually better for me to like write those days off as a mental health day and not even put pressure on myself to try and do a million and one things and just feel bad about how slowly i'm working because the next day if i'm well rested I've had some me time. I could be back into a hyper productive state. So I think learning when to recognize learning how to recognize when you're hyper productive and when you're not and also what's easy and what's not helps you be a productive person. I'm the kind of person where it's like I'd like to do things that are easy for me because then I can do them very well. Things which are not easy for me or which are boring for me, I don't do well. Someone else should do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. That's how like I've kind of been looking at it, approaching my
0: life like, even like recently, like I just like got like a housekeep, a housekeeper serv, housekeeping service to come, just because like I realized that like I take a day to like clean my entire place like fully, and I'm like
1: this is not a good use of my time. I'm not good at this, and I'm slow. 100% oh gosh yeah like outsource what you're slow at and not good at and that is the key to happy life and if you're privileged enough to do that which let's face it our generation are especially where we are in the world why not
0: yeah exactly um how do you forecast those days that like you know are going to do well or like days where you know it's going to be great and days where it won't be so
1: great i think starting to journal and like practice a gratitude journal and practice daily meditations and stuff like that. I'm not one of those people that's like fanatic about it. Like there are definitely days that I skip or days that I miss, but I've been meditating regularly for five years and I've been journaling regularly for a year and a bit, I'd say. And the amount Of reflection that's done in that has made me become so much more aware of things I never noticed before and you know our body is subject to different chemicals in our brain and like sometimes I will wake up and I'll just be like oh my gosh I have so many sad chemicals in my brain I don't know it could be for any random reason like I just had this dream that felt real and in that dream someone made me really annoyed so I wake up and my brain is confused about what's a dream and what's reality and I'm still annoyed and it's just like okay I'm going to be annoyed now for a few hours so (laughs) let me just do things where i don't need to interact with people because otherwise i'm going to like convey that annoyingness to them and then they're going to get annoyed at me so yeah i think i'm developing my self-awareness constantly so that i can recognize the things that i'm feeling the things that i'm going through what my body's going through what my mind's going through and the way that i do that is by practicing meditation by journaling by practicing gratitude gratitude has been incredible for me to develop compassion for myself. Like a lot of ambitious people, we hold ourselves to a different standard that we hold our friends. We give our friends leeway. We give our friends a break. We don't give ourselves leeway. We don't give ourselves a break. And I think from practicing gratitude, I've been able to practice compassion and I've been able to give the compassion I give to my friends, to myself. And that's also helped me be more honest with myself and realize like, do you really want to stay up late and finish this? and then be tired tomorrow or you just want to go to bed. I think it's really, really, really hard, again, just coming back to what we know from research about being a woman in tech, being a woman in a a competitive industry. It's so important for us to be our number one fans because there's like millions of people waiting to take us down, judge us, hold us back, take our ideas for their own, like goodness knows, right? And I think that energy and knowing that that energy is out there has made me double down even more on that self-compassion. Because I was just like, ain't nobody looking out for me unless I'm looking out for me.
0: You've spoken a lot about self-care. So what do you do to re-energize
1: when you're feeling burnt out? I do so many things. I love to go on FaceTime with my best friends and just like laugh and be silly, bitch about life and work because it is so cathartic to just complain about stuff with people that are just like, oh, I know. Mm -hmm, Yes, yeah. It's like, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, Why is everyone so annoying? I don't know, but they just are. You know, so that (laughs) is wonderful. Like, definitely one of my go-tos. And it's kind of like just going back to childhood, going back to when you were teenagers. and I love that. Uh, I love watching TV. I definitely enjoy content created by women more i just think that is a more interesting lens through which to view the world so whether it's insecure whether it's girlfriends or anything i'm just like let me just watch some stuff that i can relate to and that speaks to me um i love reading magazines like just a little bit of escapism like even though i have issue with some of the narratives that they perpetuate and some of the aesthetics that they perpetuate it was also quite nice just to like spend an hour reading about the latest fashion trends I'm never going to invest in. Um, <laughs> uh, I love cooking as well. Um, if I'm in the right mood, then it'll be really fun for me to recreate some of the recipes I loved eating growing up. So I might decide I'm going to cook some Nigerian food, make some jollof fries, fry some plantain. Um My mom's from the Philippines, so maybe I'll do some cool asian dish, rice dish. But yeah, basically cooking the comfort food that I love and like I'll make a big deal out of it. Like I'll be excited about prepping it, I'll be excited about cooking it and then when I finally eat it, I'll be excited that I'm eating it. So yeah, those kinds of things and like, yeah, just anything. Maybe open my Peloton app, do like a restorative yoga session, which is basically stretching to relaxing music. (laughs) But yeah, any of the above things will energize me and I try to make a habit of blocking out time for those things if if a friend facetimes me sometime in the afternoon when i'm catching up on a project i've actually moved towards taking that call even though sometimes it's annoying because now in the pandemic when we just don't see anyone ever (laughs) it's so much more important for me to find the time to see my friends so and that's been like a real mindset shift before where I would have been like, oh, let me just finish this and then go back to them. It's like, no, do you know what? They're free now. I'm free now. Let me see another human and stay connected to reality. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that totally makes a lot of sense. I think <laughs> just even just like staying connected with friends and just doing things that aren't work kind of makes work more enjoyable. Um, I think Shonda Rhimes had like a TED Talk about this, like where, where she – where her kids will ask her to play and she will just. Oh, yes. of her. yes. Yep. She would make, just make a rule with herself to just play with them whenever they ask. Because it's I like a that. good way to like balance her work. Totally. totally. Oh, that's everything. That's all the questions I have. So
1: do you have any last things to say before we sign off? Um. Just thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please check out Hustle Crew Live on Instagram. We're sharing daily careers, info daily. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, check out Techish Podcast. Um, and if you want to be an inclusion ambassador in your community, we have a membership at Hustle Crew. So hustlecrew.co slash membership. And you can get weekly resources and monthly workshops to be an agent of change.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Abidesi. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much. Okay. Cool.